Octa Non Verba is a show that's raw and real, featuring hard-hitting interviews with people that live by the ethos of actions, not words. Marcus Aurelius Anderson is a TEDx speaker, best-selling author, veteran, and leadership and mindset coach. With this show, you get to join Marcus as he goes inside the minds and experiences of the world's most successful warriors, leaders, entrepreneurs, and experts. With each episode, you're going to get the philosophies, concepts, tactics, and strategies these leaders use to turn adversity into victory. Live an extraordinary life based on actions, not words. Now, here's your host, Marcus Aurelius Anderson. Octa non verba is a Latin phrase that means actions, not words. If you want to know what somebody truly believes, don't listen to their words. Instead, observe their actions. I'm Marcus Aurelius Anderson, and my guest today truly embodies that phrase. Tony Watley is a 20-plus year serial entrepreneur, business coach, best-selling author, podcast host, and speaker. He is co-founder of LS1 Tech, an online automotive performance community, which grew into the largest of its kind. The website grew to over 300,000 registered members and 150 advertising accounts and was later sold for millions in only five years. But that was only Tony's part-time business. He shares his mindset and business strategies within his number one Amazon best-selling book, Side Hustle Millionaire, which I highly recommend, and teaches people how to start up, scale, and exit their companies. With his previous oil and gas profession managing over $100 million in international projects, he consults small businesses on how to benefit from his expertise and processes, systems, and leadership. His purpose is to help people gain the knowledge and courage to take action. He tries to help others become the best versions of themselves, whatever that may be. And when he's not performing the work that he loves, you can usually find Tony and his wife, Lisa, traveling the world or racing cars. Follow Tony on all the social medias and go to 365 Driven to learn more about what he's doing. Tony, it's great to talk to you again. And just like I was saying, I was looking back, we met each other in the RTA Syndicate in 2018. So five years has passed and there's been so much growth and explosion in what you've done and what's going on in this industry. So thank you for taking the time. And it's an honor to call you my friend. Five years, brother. That doesn't seem like it was that long ago. I mean, it really seemed, I remember hanging out at some of those early events or just really hanging out in the groups and getting to know each other. And, you know, that was when I really just got started as a speaker and just got started. I think I was in Toastmasters. I may have been a club president by then, but I hadn't really been on that many stages at that time. And, you know, five years, man, it goes by really fast. It does. And it's a testament to the entrepreneurial journey, right? Mm -hmm. We were saying before how, we have to invest. We can't just be interested. We have to invest totally into something. And so, like you said, committing to Toastmasters, not just dabbling, not just looking at a video or two, not just looking to somebody speak and say, I want to sound like Ed Milet or I want to sound like Andy Rossella. It's like, how about I develop who the hell I am and then speak from that voice, right? Well, it takes a little humility to be able to do that. I think a lot of times the ego gets in the way. I mean, I'm not going to say any names, but there's a group that we're both a member of. And I saw this dude that made a post about himself, you know, self-inflating ego type post, his chest pounding. And he was saying that he was invited to speak for his very first time and that he was so awesome that the entire crowd thought he'd been doing it for so many years. And instead of saying like, man, I just got lucky. He was like, yeah, I'm that badass. I'm just, I'm just super badass. That's what that is. <laughs> I just laughed when I read that dude. I laughed so hard when I read that. And it's so interesting because once you've been in the game a little bit, you can see what's really being said, what's projected through that, the humble brag. There's actually a lot of fear in that sort of a post, right? Because they're basically painting themselves into a corner. Now they've put themselves way up in their mind on this level. And so now they're always going to be afraid of falling off, of being found out, of having imposter syndrome, all of the shit that everybody talks about. And like you said, you have to start from this ground level and slowly work your way up because until you have that real foundation, I mean, you're trying to build a, a house on quicksand and you can get up to a certain extent, but man, when it comes down, it's brutal. Dude, it's it's a long journey and it's a, it's a fun journey. I love this. I mean, you and I both love the journey. And if you aren't willing to suck at something and be a beginner at it, you're never going to really find the result at the end of that road. I mean, it's just not going to happen for you. If, you. if you're so bottled up and trying to be perfect or, you know, indestructible, then you're never going to be able to go through that journey and enjoy it. I like that you said that you hold yourself to a high standard. And here's the other thing, like you, we're both podcasters. We're both big on some big stages. 
you and I both have had peers, people that we know that maybe they've accomplished something in the business world. Like we're in the business space, right? They'll, maybe they, they made a few million, they've built some major companies, things like that. And they go, hey man, get me on your show. They say, hey man, get me on your stage. So what I find is a lot of times, I'm, I don't want to say a lot of times, let's correct that. Let's say 20, 20% of the time, these people feel that they're entitled to the microphone or the stage just because of what they've accomplished, not because they've invested in themselves to become a speaker, somebody that can engage people, somebody that can storytell, somebody that's going to leave people an impact. Because when you approach a podcast host or a stage or an organizer, and it's all about you, and I'm this, and I'm super important, and all this, it's like, dude, I can already tell, like, you're the kind of speaker that will get on a stage because you're, you're friends with the guy that organized it. And you'll go up there because you've made your money and you're so horrible that everybody literally starts looking at their phone or they get up to go take a piss break because they're like, who is this dude? I don't even care how rich you are. Like, I'm ready to go take a piss break because of this guy. Those are the people that, God, I, we could do a podcast on just that, right? So those of you that may not understand, Tony has an event. If I have an event, if anybody creates an event and we have somebody on the stage, we're trusting you, one, to give something truly valuable to of quality to our people, two, to actually be a person of your word, which means I may ask you, hey, I don't have to have an entire slideshow, but I would like to know what you would like to talk about, maybe three things you're going to give them, right? And then I would like for you to subscribe to a time frame. And the, those type of people, they get up, they've made a lot of money, and they just ramble. And they make no points. And it's like they're lost and they're just in this tangent. And like you said, there's nothing engaging. They're just sort of talking to hear themselves talk. And now you're like, how the fuck can we get to here? And what am I supposed to take from this? And the speaker anthem is this intro, point, 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 close to tell what you just said in the intro and the point, give something sort of emotional to hit home and then get the hell off the stage, man. Like it's easier to get a speaker to speak for an hour than for 10 minutes because a lot of speakers will not do the work to have something succinct and dense. So again, even at the TEDx, like they were like, you have 18 minutes, but if you can do it in less, that's even better because now not only is it easier for them to edit, but people's attention span online, it used to be an insult to say, hey, you have the attention span of a goldfish, which is eight seconds. <laughs> but in today's society, it's even less than that, like between reels and TikTok and all that stuff. And I'm not, I'm not shitting on technology, but I am saying that that's why a lot of people like something punchy. You have to get their attention with something powerful first, and now you can slice something in behind that. Well, look at it this way, guys. If Let's say that you've accomplished. Let's say you're listening to this, you've accomplished something, or you're on that trajectory. Like, good, that's amazing. You've taken action. You're not doing the words like the title of this show. I love yeah. that. But it's a different arena that you're stepping onto when you're literally stepping on that stage Anytime we're on a microphone or a stage or a camera, we have to be an entertainer. That's well, we want to educate, but we also need to entertain. You don't just get lucky and become an educator, entertainer. Like you have to enhance these skills. You got to do the practice, go to the schools, take the courses, hire the coach, things like that. It always builds your awareness. So my multiple seven figure exit, I was 34 at the time. I was 34. Wow. At 44, I wasn't be, I wouldn't be able to do this. At 44, 10 years after, I would not be able to get on the stage or get on the mic because I wasn't. I, I didn't like being on camera. I, I, I wasn't the right guy. I had all the experience. I had all the knowledge, had all the results. But I wasn't the right person to get on that stage or the microphone or the camera until I invested in myself really over the last seven years to be able to do that. So yeah. Yeah, I'm 50 now and my awareness is like huge compared to 40, which is huge compared to 34. But that's the kind of stuff we go through with life, the wisdom. Like, you can't shortcut that process. It's going to come with time. And you youngsters, like, buckle up. It's a lot of fun. And you're going to find that's enjoyable to gain more awareness every year and try to, instead of thinking that you know everything at a younger age. Yeah. And right now, it seems like everybody wants to, and again, I'll use social media. Everybody's like the three steps to this, the 12 steps to that, the seven steps to this. That's fine, guys. And I, I want you to learn. I want you to absorb this. But it doesn't mean shit if you don't apply it. Even if you had this incredible recipe, even if Tony or I gave you the keys of the kingdom, and then it's like, take the first step. Well, what if this? Just just step and fall down. It's okay. Everybody does. And all the people that say that they don't are full of shit. So don't listen to those people. You have to go out there and try, whether it be driving a fast car, 
understanding that you need to hit the accelerator in the turns, not brake, because the instinct is to slow down. We have to lean into it just like everything. So getting on stage, feeling that adrenaline dump for the first time, getting the sweats, maybe seeing that the audience, like you and I have spoken up to where you'll see audience members that literally sit there and shake their head like they don't agree with what you're saying, right? <laughs> you still have to stay in the pocket. You've done you were you've done comedy for a little while, which we'll we'll talk about that. But it's the same thing where you may walk into a room and they may not be receptive to what you're saying. You still have to be resolute. You still have to be self-aware. And if you're good enough with your message, you have to be able to almost push pause mentally, go on to this other direction, be courageous enough to maybe try to bring some more people into the fold and then go back to what you were saying without losing focus, without losing concentration, without losing where you are in the keynote, whatever it is, and still hitting your time frame. So when you look at all of those things as moving parts, as a professional speaker, in addition to not saying um or yeah, and you can drop the F-bomb once in a while, but if you break the fuck-a-meter and you are no longer saying anything powerful because you're just trying to get people's attention with it, there's an art to this, just like writing a, a best-selling book, just like anything else. You have to do the reps. You have to try it. You have to fail. And if you're not sure, record yourself. Like, step in front of yourself on your phone, let that green light go on, that red light go on, and then speak. And all of a sudden, even for some of us that have never done that before, that alone may give you a little bit of heart race. And now you may hear your voice shake, right? I still feel that. Anytime I go do a video, I actually would rather do a live video knowing that there's people watching me now that I've seen both sides than just recording something. Like I do these solo podcast episodes sometimes and man, those are actually tough. Like I would rather just get on a podcast like this and or have somebody talking to me or someone in the room and I can flow, I can get into that flow state. But man, when you're just by yourself and you're speaking or you're looking at a piece of plastic and glass device and you're trying to you know, elevate your emotions because we also know that we lose some of the emotional energy through the video processing for some reason. Like it's it's kind of funny. Like we'll we'll do a video and like, dude, that was like a ten out of ten. Like energy wise, I was hyped up, and then you could play the replay. Like, dude, that's like a seven out of ten. Like, was I awake? Like, what, what's going on there? So there's a there's something lost in translation when we cre create that that content. And you know, you talked about the hesitation and the fear. Okay, a lot of times that's just a confidence issue, and. Nobody likes to hear this phrase, but a lot of times if there's a confidence issue, there's potentially a competence issue. So that there's something that you're lacking or something that you're faking or something that you're fronting, or maybe it's something that you haven't confronted yet that you know that you should be doing a little bit more investment in yourself or a little bit more research or a few more reps before you become certain. Because that's what I see from the very high performers, the people that are really admired in social media and business titans. They're confident because they're competent, but their message is very certain. You notice like, like Alex Hormozzi, like one of the guys that's blowing up on the scene right now. If you watch any video from Alex Hormozzi, even if he's talking about junk food from McDonald's when he was broke, he's very certain. He's very certain. Hey, guys, if you go to McDonald's and you order this, and then this is what you should get, and here's what it is, and you know, it doesn't taste great, but you know what? I did this, and I got these big muscles from that. He's very certain, Right. It's because he's confident in his beliefs. And like you said, when you take that stage and the audience doesn't always have to resonate, if you absorb their negative reaction and you start to sound less confident, less certain, and wanting to test the waters instead of just being bold with what your opinions are because you've done the research, then you really don't deserve that stage yet. You're not ready for that stage yet. And again, that comes back to every philosophy, every business plan, every anything that we've ever read. Yeah. It comes down to self-knowledge. Know thyself. And the only way you can get to know yourself is going through hardship, facing adversity, building a business, falling down, all the things. I mean, whether it be heartbreak from a young age to divorce, to starting over, to, you know, bullshit that happened in 2020. Like, there's been a lot of this where people have had to adapt. They've had to change. They've had to say, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. But we learn a lot about where somebody is by the way that they respond to that, right? The way yes. that we conduct ourselves in the face of adversity is an indication of how we do everything else. So the people that clammed up, what were we being told by Andy and Ed, be aggressive right now? And we were aggressive. And guess what? Not only us, but the businesses that we actually coached, they were able to excel. They were able to really gobble up a lot of stuff because everybody else was, because what, the giants were just sitting back. They're like, man, we're good. We got this war chest. We can wait this out forever. The people on the very bottom, they were barely hanging in on anyway. And then the people in the middle, it was like, this is your time to move forward. Yeah, absolutely. The last two years, 
my coaching business, the speaking, the shows, the invitations, the stages, they all blew up because I was very vocal with what I believe in. And it's not because I'm reading headlines. It's because I'll read headlines from both sides of the perspective on hot topics. And then I'll go really down deep into the rabbit hole and do the research. And I'm a data guy. I'm an engineering guy, right? I like numbers. I can remove emotion from all kinds of decisions because I had to operate with that way for so many years. Decades of my life, I had to make logical decisions based on data and projections and forecasts. And I didn't have to have the emotions. I could feel the opposite, but I just had to look at the data. And that's who I trust. And so I would do these research and I'd find these medical journals and things like that. We're talking about like the pokey and all this stuff, right? And the, the silencing and the censorship and all the things I just disagree with on, on a principle basis. I was just vocal about that. And a lot of times people were like, oh man, like, I, you know, you shouldn't talk about that stuff. Like people might get upset. It's like if they get upset, it's because they're welcome to debate me. I mean, you've seen my, my social media. I'm, I welcome people to debate me anytime. And usually what happens, here's the path that happens. People will disagree with some high level, you know, headline. They'll disagree with the headline and they'll go, okay, blah, blah, blah. And the response is like some other headline. And then you take it a level deeper and they're not willing to do that. So you take it a little deeper and, and they're not willing to do that. And then it finally goes, they'll just do some character attack on you. Like, oh, you're just stupid or you look stupid or, you know, you're dumb. And, you know, it's like, hey, by the rules of debate, when we lose our emotional control or we go into a character attack, you instantly lose the debate. You can see the debate. Like you didn't come prepared. You didn't do your research. You stepped into the wrong ring with the wrong person that did do the research. And now what happens is those people usually end up deleting their responses and their posts. They Like, I don't delete their stuff. A lot of times people delete their own stuff because they realize that after five, six exchanges, they kind of look like an asshole and people are watching. Yeah, and that's what we do, right? We give them enough rope to hang themselves. And again, if I'm debating somebody, it's the same thing. If I'm wrong, show me. You know, I'll, I'll listen. I'll, I'll absolutely listen. If you can cite your source, like you said, and if we can take it a, a level lower than that, absolutely. With the hard science background from chiropractic school, having to study all these hard sciences where it was like, I don't have the luxury of emotion. Like if this is the truth and it's from an unbiased source or it's a independently researched thing, right? That doesn't have any money behind it, justifying the end result, then I'm happy to listen to it. I'm happy to look at it. I'm happy to look at the mechanism behind it. Having said that, if I question you back and you don't have the same sort of succinct, direct, data-driven ideal, then how can I possibly listen to what you're saying? And again, if they, when it comes to character assassination, when it comes to straw man, when it comes to the antithesis, the, the whole other direction, they say, oh, well, based on this small ideal, now if I expand it a thousand percent, this makes all these other things. It's like, no, I'm not saying that because one person did something wrong that every single person is wrong. I'm saying that because of what this individual's action was, with this individual's intent behind the action, that shows me what's going on. So emotions assassinate the truth. And like you said, when people are scared, they fall back into that. They fall back into that emotion, whatever they're comfortable with. And sometimes it's not their fault, but at the same time, in the heat of battle, we have to be humble enough to, to understand what's really going on. And that's how we learn. You know, one of the defining characteristics of me, even in the corporate world and just being a daredevil type personality that I am, I've always been calm. I've always been very emotionally stable and controlled. Even in the heat of battle and all this stuff, like playing sports, contact sports, martial arts, football, I've always just really been calm. I'm very good at executing and focusing on the objective, but I never really was like the one screaming and trying to show like, like thinking that's a sign of, of uh, force, but it's really an emotional weakness. And, and what it all comes back to, because I, I really started to look back over the last few years and you'll love this is because I took judo as a kid when I was, I was probably 10 to 13, that time frame, nice. my mom enrolled me in judo and I wanted to go in there just because I wanted to be like Danielson. I had some bullies in junior, like in grade school. And I was like, man, I just want to beat, how to beat these kids up and defend myself. Like that's what we all joined for. Let's be real when we're kids. And I remember just being tossed around like a, like a tackling dummy for the first probably two weeks. Like I didn't get to learn how to kick. I didn't learn, learn how to punch or block. I was just getting tossed. They were just grabbing me by the gi and just tossing me on the mat like nonstop. And it, used to, it had pissed me off for a couple of days. And I remember telling my mom, like, I don't, I don't want to do this. I want to quit. She's like, you're not going to quit. She's Japanese. She understood judo, right? Oh, yeah. And she said, you're not going to quit. Like, if you start quitting now, you'll be a quitter for the rest of your life. It's like, well, damn it, I got to go. And so 
you know, within two weeks, they finally started showing me how to do some more defense and offense stuff. They just wanted to make sure that I knew how to fall down and they were watching my emotional control and if I had a temper and if I was coachable. And so I learned all this later on. Like they don't, when you're in the heat of that and you're getting tossed, like you get upset, like this sucks. Like, mom, I just was there for a whole hour and a half and they just threw me on the mat all day. Like, and she's like, well, that's what they want from you. That's that's what you're there for right now. You know, like just do it. And so I have I'm really a value learning how to fall down because that saved me well in skateboarding and BMX and all the other crazy stunts and rolling out of stuff. Like I, I, I could jump off of two-story roofs when I was a kid and just roll out of it. And it was like crazy, like a ninja. And it was because I learned that. And the emotional control is the main thing. It, like you could take away the the defense and the the you know the fear of things like that. Like the main thing I got from martial arts, even at that early age, was emotional control. It's everything. And and that's a perfect analogy, right? In judo, in aikido, in jujitsu, like you say, what's the first thing we learn? Here's how you fall. You're uke the entire time, ukime, break falls, all these things. And again, it it is a test of our fortitude to see where we're at. And again, if if we're pissed off after two weeks, then maybe we get thrown for another two weeks. Yeah. And then they go, okay, here's an ogosh, here's a hip toss. And you're like, wow. And again, here's the other part the yin-yang of martial arts. When you learn how to fall properly, you can throw somebody better. Yes. Because you're the one that's initiating. And if you're the person that's been thrown correctly enough times, you can feel this person is very smooth in the execution. But if it's like grab, here, hip, now I'm trying to do this, it's very staccato. Now, after you've been thrown enough times, you realize, oh, where he's pausing, I can counter here. Oh, where he's not putting a lot of commitment in here, I can just resist. And now that, again, now it becomes this beautiful dance. And that analogy goes throughout life. Again, conversations, business negotiations, conversation with a loved one in the, during the holidays, in the middle of the pandemic, right? Like there's a million different ways that we can talk about that, but that's what it is. And then that helps you fall in love with not just the falling, but that technique. Bruce Lee's protege, Gurudan Osanto, I'm an instructor under him, and he said there's 68 known throws in judo, but Olympic-level people use three, but they know all of the other ones so that they are not victimized by them in the match. So it's so important. You know, and and for people that are listening to this and and you want more contemporary examples because I get not all martial arts get their TV coverage, right? Look at the UFC, okay? Good example. It's It's showmanship. People are walking into the arena, the music's playing, their entry music, they're pumped up, they're high-fiving the crowd, they're looking angry, and the lights are flashing, and it's really cool. It's like this really adrenaline thing going on, and they get in the, the octagon, and they're kind of just warming up, and they're staring down at each other, and, you know, so there's still some emotion showing. But as soon as that bell dings, they both become very emotionless and very focused, and they're not screaming and, like, flexing and trying to be angry, and they're just super focused, and... You'll see a guy's face getting pummeled on the mat, and he's just looking for where the dude's hands are, and you can see him like thinking about how to get out of it. And he's just he's very focused, and he's not screaming and going, "You're hurting me," you know. So think about that. Like these guys are literally getting pounded in the face, but they're not emotion. That they have no emotion in that. They're operating. And if you can learn to apply at the highest levels, like if you need an example of yourself, like if you get road rage. If you scream at the windshield and obscenities and you're on the horn and flicking people off, dude, you are not a strong person. I hate to tell you, you are an emotionally weak person. I hope that this comment raises your awareness in this moment. So the next time you do that, use that as an opportunity to test that exercise, like flex that muscle, learn how to control your emotions because that person that got in your lane, they probably didn't even see you. They're probably looking at their phone. They're probably oblivious. Maybe they're singing their favorite song. They're having a hell of a, a great day in their car in front of you. And you're like, they're, you're letting them ruin your entire day. Like I remember people would come back from work, from lunch, or show up in the morning and they'd be bitching about all the traffic and all the assholes on the road. And dude, it was like eight in the morning and these people's days were ruined because of traffic that they decided to move 30 minutes away from the job site. And had to see it in every single day. So it's like, that was your choice, right? So you kind of know what's going to happen. So why do you let that ruin your eight-hour day at work? You're like, it's just, you let all these people that are randomly driving around control your emotional energy for an entire day. It just blows my mind. It's because like, you lack awareness, especially men. Like men, 
think screaming and you know yelling and anger, they think that's a show of, of of force and dominance. But it actually, to someone that's been trained in fighting and trained in those kind of combat arenas, even military that have seen action, like they think you're a chump. They think you're the biggest, you know, crybaby, stupid ass in the in the entire place. And we're talking about men, right? We're talking about our emotions. So whether it's real or not, you have to understand that these guys that are projecting stuff out in anger, it's usually fear, but they don't want to project that. So it comes out as what this easily accessible tool, anger. And so again, to if you're looking for the alpha person in the room, he's not the one beating his chest. He's not the one jumping up and down saying, look at me, I'm a badass. He's the one that's kind of sitting back, detached, aware of what's going on, and then realizing, do I have to take action now? Because if I don't, I'm going to step back because it's not really conducive to to step in right now. But if something does happen, you better bet your ass it's time to go, right? That's right. I mean, the number one part of training is just try to diffuse the situation the best you can. Walk away if you have to, you know? Yeah, we, we don't need to be a hero. And again, what's sustainable? Again, if I can talk this person away, talk this person down, again, martial arts, security, self-defense, whatever it is. It's much easier just to do it like that. And again, until this person actually begins to take action physically against me or project a, a weapon or something or hurt somebody else, everything they're saying are just words. That's it. And if I can say these are just syllables created from this hole in somebody's face, it's not actually hurting me, then I can step away from that. You can say whatever you want to me. I don't care. That's fine. Go ahead. But if you get close to me or if you start getting close to me and I tell you to step back and you don't, Okay, now this is the opportunity that they need for self-awareness because if they don't, it's going to be different for them. Hey, you know, just just so you know this, I think that I've heard this, I haven't verified this. If they start cussing at you, but you ask them to put a mask on, I think that the mask will keep the, <laughs> to keep the danger from coming out their mouth and like, and affecting right. you emotionally. I think, so next time you guys get in a yelling match, just carry like a mask with you and go, hey, bro, put this on because, you know, that way your words won't affect me. Or double mask, please, if you would just yeah. do that. That would make it or, easier. Or, or is it infect me? Your words won't infect me. Maybe that's the proper terminology. <laughs> yeah, there's oh, there's so much of that out there. <laughs> and that's the thing. I mean, it, again, if these are people just spouting words at us, you can call me a pink elephant all day. It's like, I know it's not true. So say what you want, man. That's fine. And this pettiness, this is something that we can get caught up in all the time. And again, you and I expect the day, like we have a power list, we have things we want to get done, but we expect there to be fires. We expect there to come something sideways at us. We expect that to be the the reality. So on the days when everything is going well, man, we try to stay in that zone and execute. But on the days where it's not, it's like, this is part of the course. I'm still going to get done what I need to get done, but I'm not going to allow this two minutes to destroy the next two hours of my life. I don't like easy. I don't like easy at anything, man. I, I'm, I don't purposely choose the hard way to do anything, but I don't like easy. But easy doesn't make it less enjoyable. Like it, it's, think about this. You can do things that are very hard, like physically go to the gym, lift some really heavy weights. That's not easy, but it's still enjoyable. So if you can find that there's still a joy and there's still challenge and there's still some kind of a, a reward from doing things hard and understanding like I accomplished that and I actually start to see results over time, like it make I look forward to stuff that because I also know that anything that occurs in growth or results never comes easy because let's be real if it was easy everybody would have the same results everybody would be doing the same thing right so start to look for those things that maybe you hesitate you you challenge yourself things that you procrastinate those are probably the the growth opportunities for you you see things that you're putting off and you're like oh man I should write that book or I should launch that podcast or maybe I should go join a improv school or public speaking coaching or whatever like maybe you should go back to the gym these kind of things that you're just putting off those are pretty damn good indicators that that's your growth opportunities and you're not going to get on the other side of those things until you take that action yeah and and human beings don't respect what we don't pay for in some capacity whether it be blood right. sweat tears money whatever it is effort is what we actually advice appreciate. like free advice like who uses that who uses that? They don't. But if you give them the same advice and you charge them money, all of a sudden they take action. That's that's the beauty of it. That's the goal. Got to have, got to have that pain principle, right? <laughs> yeah. And you were talking about how there has been a lot of negativity around in different parts of the world for a lot of different time frames now. But mm -hmm. you've focused a lot more on positivity. And as a matter of fact, you challenge yourself to to do that on the improv, Mike. I mean, yeah. 
tell us about that because how much of a better speaker are you now because you got up there and did those reps? Well, here's the difference between improv comedy. Now, now stand-up is different from improv. So I'll explain the difference because, yeah, you could go public speaker like you and I. And when you're going through public speaking training or being coached or you're refining things, it's always refining your message, your voice, the way you speak, your mannerisms. So you're always in this refining and repetition phase of just becoming the better version of you as a speaker, okay? It's a character you're building. Improv comedy shatters that because you don't know what character you're going to be until your stage mate assigns that sometimes or you get to assign yourself. So the example I would use is if I were to take the stage and you were out there already and you're the initiator, you're the one that's kind of starting the skit, and you called me a sexy 85-year-old grandma and that we were at the circus together, I would have to play along. I would have to think and act and sound and you know have the mannerisms of a, what I think of as a sexy 85-year-old grandmother. So you don't get to refine your message, your voice, your mannerisms. It's literally handed to you instantaneously. And you have to be good enough to add a brick to that wall and keep building the wall in that journey to create the outcome. Because improv is beautiful because it's pure reaction. There's no script. It's Hey, boom, boom, boom. You add your stuff. They add their stuff. You add your stuff. You're trying to get to a punchline or a, some kind of a sensational, like crazy, like outcome, right? That's the whole thing. And so that challenges you. And also it makes you think on your feet a lot quicker. But the other reason I wanted to do that is really for crowd control. Because even as a public speaker, it's really good to engage with the audience. And it's not just, hey, show your hand if you do this. Like sometimes you take questions or sometimes you got a heckler or somebody says something that's trying to be funny and if you do improv, you actually can put something funnier on top of their funny. And now like the crowd's like, damn. And so that actually may tell people like, maybe I shouldn't heckle this guy. He's pretty good at that. <laughs> yeah, I I dare anybody to heckle Joe Rogan or oh. Chappelle, right? Like like you said, that's you're just waiting to get lambasted. <laughs> Dude, it's bad. It's bad. And you know, so stand-up is more like public speaking, okay? Because stand-up, again, you're refining your character your line of jokes, you're testing out those on the audience, your delivery, it's it's very scripted. So yeah, these these stand-up guys that tour around the country, I love I love going to see them. But if you were to go to every one of their shows, it's literally the same, you know, 15 to 20 minutes, 30 minutes, depending on if they're headliners, right? That's right. their script. So they're acting and they're playing it out the same thing over and over. It's like if you go watch them on Netflix, like if there's a comedy that you're, a comedian that's coming to your city and you want to go see them, don't watch their Netflix special. Don't watch it because you're going to hear the same jokes. Yeah, I we we saw Bill Burr when he was here, and and luckily for us, he was working on new material as he went. Mm. But like you said, you could even see that he was throwing stuff at the wall. Some of it was landing, like some of it was crushing, mm. some of it wasn't. And then he even called himself out on that. I was like, I thought that would have been funnier to people in Tulsa, Oklahoma, but I guess not. And then he yeah. would pivot, like he he's like, okay, no harm, no foul. Here it is. But again, he's he's a very he's at that mastery level of of comedy, in my opinion. Having said that, again, these guys are trying to work. If you watch the movie uh, Comedian with with Jerry Seinfeld back in the day, like it shows him like he's already exited with nine hundred billion dollars from Seinfeld, and he goes back to the circuit, and he's like, yeah. "I hate." He says, "I fucking hate this because he has to start over." He he got rid of all of his old material, forced himself to start over, and he's working material these small clubs seeing what works, what didn't. And there was an interview with him. Um, somebody asked him, they said, is it, if you tell a joke in one part of the country and then tell another part of the country and it's not funny, is it just the people? And he said, no, you messed it up. Like, it's you. It's not the people. Funny and humor, you should be able to sense it palpably in everything. Mm -hmm. And before we hit record, we were talking about the fact that sometimes if you tell somebody a, like a hard truth, they won't take it. But if we can come from like, a little bit of a non-direct route with humor, Yeah, all of a sudden they get there on their own, right? Yeah, I would say that you are actually better at that than me early on because you've always come from like the the strong supportive guy that's kind of wanting to support. But man, I, I was fiery. Five years ago, I was fiery, dude. I had to learn the way I wanted to speak because think about this, guys. I worked in oil and gas industry, offshore oil and gas specifically, and I was the boss and I had to speak like that to get shit done. And, you know, you had to direct and be commanding and things like that. So those guys don't listen to being friendly to them. And, mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're respectful. We, we always maintain respect, but 
they like being ordered. A lot of them are ex-military guys from all over the world, not just U.S. military. And they like being like, hey, that's the thing. Go do that. Here's the objectives. Like, give them the task. Like, boom, they operate. They execute. Like, amazing. But you're not going to get anything done with these guys. Like, for example, like, we'd have these young engineers that would come, you know, to the company and they say, hey, I want to go be a project manager and go offshore and manage the guys. And it's okay. So you're 23 years old and have you ever managed a, a grown man that's 50 years old or 55 or 60 years old that's been out there longer than you've been born? And no, I was like, well, you're not going to get there just being their friend and their buddy. Because if you go out there, you do have the authority in this chain of command. You're just like a young officer in the military. Yep. And you have to earn their respect. And you have to prove why you earn their respect. And it's not going out there and going, well, I'm just the boss. And like, you guys got to do what I say. Like, you're going to get eaten up. And so I learned pretty quick just from personalities and interviewing some of these people. Like, I knew right away if they were going to make it or not going to make it. I, yeah. I could just tell just from the interview with me, just being like kid gloves, literally, if they were going to make it offshore. So, yeah. yeah, that's awareness things. Like, you can learn these things. You can learn these communication styles. But yeah, I was a little more blunt, I guess, five, six years ago. But I've learned to refine my message because I realized that, hey, if I want to create the results, if I want people to really have the changes and evolve, then I have to get more people on board to be able to do that. So you have to be a little bit more influential the way you speak. And sometimes you got to sell people their own ideas. That sounds manipulative, but if the intention is there, it's good. You know, the, the thing is that the same skills that we use to, in, you know, influence people or manipulate people is the same skill set. What it goes back down to is what's your intent? Are you just trying to screw people over and make money and only care about yourself? Or are you really trying to help people and encourage people to do better? So, you know, use the same skill sets to understand like good and evil. It's the yin and yang, like you mentioned, like the same skill sets apply. In the wrong hands, they do the wrong things. In the good hands, they do the good things. It's it's the truth. And it's it's also about this people talk about love languages, but it's it's leadership languages, right? And mm -hmm. and we'll use martial arts again. If I have three throws, I do the first throw, that fails. I have a contingency throw, that fails. I flow into the next one, or I may go back into the first one again. But that's where this communication comes in, right? <clears throat> I may have this more direct style initially, and then I see this person lean back. They, they're not receptive to that. I have to have the awareness to sense that. It's pragmatic empathy, right? Being able to see what they need. Mm -hmm. And I'll deliver on that. There was a CEO that I was speaking at his company. And when we were there, he was talking about how, like he was driving, like he's a driver. So the salespeople loved everything he was saying. But then he's like, we're going to quadruple the sales and this quarter is going to crush last year's entirely. And then you see the people on the other side of the room, the operations and like fulfillment. And they're like, they don't want to hear that. Like they, <laughs> it killed them last year. They were working yeah. 12 hour days on the last quarter yeah. trying to get this stuff done. So the salespeople are like running through walls and throwing the chairs over. But the other people are like, there's that's not sustainable yeah. and if he'd have read the room he could have fired these guys up come over here talked about how important this is how they're going to support the people that are doing this mm -hmm. to allow this to be something again we're going to make our old model you know antiquated by comparison because we're doing these new processes and we have this other stuff in this dashboard and we have more people and now it's going to be seamless now we can go fast now that makes them more on board and then we sell them the dream. And now we had the big vision and now yeah. we're on the same page and we end in a direction that's doing that. But at the end of it, I was, I pointed that out to him after I spoke and I was like, man, if you could see that. And then he, he, again, like it was aware, tough. Awareness. He had the awareness. Right? Yeah. And it was tough for him, but he actually stepped back up at the end of it and kind of did a little bit of damage control. And man, it, it spoke volumes. So again, if you're talking about ROI, it was absolutely there, but without that awareness, without the ability to be coachable, without wanting to change. Everybody wants to change the world, but they don't want to change themselves. Like that's how we have to get there. You have to step yeah. back and say, okay, you know, if I'm asking you, you asked me when you came off stage, when you spoke at the RJ Syndicate, you're like, how'd I do? I was like, you did great. And you were like, I felt like this, this, I was like, everything worked. You were committed. It was great. Like I was just very direct with you. It was like, mm -hmm. that was it. And you were like, my intention is to be the best speaker out there, no matter who's out there. I was like, that's mm -hmm. how you have to do it, man. So you delivered. That's it. That's a, it's a mindset, you know, Absolutely. It's, it's kind of funny because I got that out of Ed in one of the interviews I did with him and he, he does the same thing. He's like, when he speaks at an event, his intention is to be the best speaker of the event. Absolutely. And that sounds to the 
know, casual listener, like, oh, that sounds like a lot of ego. But no, it's the competition is what drives. If we know that competition drives us as an individual, you got to jump on that and put a saddle on it and ride that because that's the thing that's going to carry you to the finish line, right? And, you know, so not everybody's competitive. I get that. Maybe there's the competence thing. Maybe there's the haven't done enough reps thing, you know, but if competition gets you results, use that in a constructive manner and and ride that thing. And so, yeah, when we do a speaking thing, like you and I could be a speaking, we're all best friends in the green room. We're best friends off and Absolutely. on. But if we're on that stage in that moment, we're on the stage. It's a competition. It should be because I know if I'm competing, I'm trying to do my best. And if I'm doing my best, the audience is going to get the result and they're going to hopefully have the takeaways and maybe the changes. Right. So it's my duty to do better. And even these podcast interviews, I mean, I've done hundreds and hundreds of them, just like you have. I think about every episode is that I want to do a better interview than I did my last interview. Always. Yes. That was one of the things I told you before we fired up. It's like, man, I hope you ask me some deep questions so we don't just talk about surface level shit because everybody does that. So yeah. I always want to give my best performance, my best interview, whatever interview it is. Like the, the one I'm doing now is the one I want to have the best interview with. And that's a competition thing for me. People say that comparison is the uh, the thief of joy, but it's actually the developer of excellence. So that's what we have to have. And again, if we're very honest, like you were saying, who wins? If you're on stage and you just crush it, and now I have to follow you, you bet your ass I'm going to have to have my game. If I go first and you have to follow me, and like you yeah. said, who wins? The audience. That's right. Who wins? You come up, we give each other a hug. Man, that was awesome. Like That's what it's supposed to be. But again, we have to have that. And without that, again, without that intention at least, and then again, Andy and Ed and the syndicate, whatever they told us a million times, you have to go out with his, this intention of trying to destroy this thing. Because if you go at it like any kind of hesitation, the minute that you face genuine adversity, you'll slow down, you'll pull back. And now you've lost momentum. You Now you're doubting yourself, you're on your heels. And that's not where we want to be in a fight. Like we can intentionally step back if we're trying to do something. But when you're just kind of stuck there and your hands are down or you're getting the double leg on you and you can't sprawl. It's like, it's a little bit too late. When you're in a fight and you feel like you're one step behind, you're not, you're two or three most of the time. Well, let's help some listeners, man. How do we get them to be more competitive? Because I think that a lot of people just avoid yeah. all forms of competition. How do we get them to do that? Absolutely. So what they do is they find either somebody in their group, somebody that they know, somebody they want to emulate. If they're in your group, they find somebody there to support them. They find somebody that they know and they say, hey, this is what I'm trying to do. Or I want to be like you. What would you tell me to do? And then they start with those small micro adversities, those small steps. We're not going to be David Goggins overnight. I get that. But when I do Goggins 4x4x48 challenge, man, like I get better every time. Like it doesn't feel good, especially after hour 28 when you're like, man, I just want to sleep. That's okay. Put your shoes on. Quit crying about it. We have to understand that all these people that are incredible, they're no different than us. They're human. They bleed. There's days they don't want to do it. That's okay. We keep moving. And that's what that commitment's all about. Yeah, I, I would say that I go to the gym six days a week. I used to take Sundays off, family day, relax, recovery day. And half the time, literally, I do not want to go. I don't want to go. But I also know that I like the results. And what I do is I put myself in the future state, okay? Here's how I fool myself in going to the gym man, I don't want to go. Like right now, I, I could get off the show. I could go to the gym. I probably don't feel like it, but I will end up at the gym later this afternoon. And so what I do is I tell myself that in the history of me ever going to the gym, I've never left the gym one time having regretted been there. Like I've never left the gym regretting have gone. I've, I've always left the gym going, man, I'm so glad I came and got that workout. I'm so glad. Like I knew I didn't want to do it earlier, but man, I'm glad I did it because I feel good. I feel charged up. I feel stronger. feel a little bit more, you know, fit and like you maybe had some good personal re you know personal record gains or something like always even even when i injured myself i never regretted having gone like i've never regretted so if i know that if i go even if i don't feel like it and i will be in a state where i will not regret having been there then then i'm going to go i'm just going to go because i know i'm going to look forward to that that's it we have to have hindsight now and it takes it's tough man especially in the middle of it you're like dude and even about the injury, like the only time I've ever been injured, I've found is because I wasn't focused in that moment. Like I wasn't watching my technique. I was trying to 
negotiate in my mind. It's like, oh, I don't want to do this. I'm going to cut the angle on this. And that's when you get hurt, man. That's when you mess yourself up or in martial arts when you hurt somebody else. It's like, man, that's not how we do it. There's, there's two ways to handle adversity, right? Correctly and again. So do it right the first time because not only is it more efficient, but it's going to protect you and everybody around you in the process. Yeah, I think that most men, especially in their 20s and 30s, hurt themselves. That's when I would do it, like in my 20s. Yep. It's because we were ego lifting at that time. We're comparing ourselves to the guy next to us or a friend that was with us that was stronger. And you see them lifting a little bit more weight. So you challenge yourself to do the same thing. And maybe you just weren't ready for that. And your body just let you know, like, yeah, that that's not going to work, bro. Like you skipped a few months here in between. So we're going to go ahead and strain your muscle or pull something for you and like teach you not to push that farther. So I see it all the time. And I'm not a big dude. You know, I was about, you and I are about the same size, you know, 5'11", 195. And I'm very strong for my size. I always have been because I, because I work out since I was 15, right? It takes years. And sometimes I'll even go to these gyms and I'll be doing some heavy lifts or things like that. And the guys next to me will be racking up their weights and they're bigger than me, but they're not stronger than me. But you can see them looking over and then they start throwing more, like let's say deadlifts, for example. They'll start putting on more weight to try to not look as wimpy. And I just see them like dying next to me. Like they're they're struggling and they're putting their back in strain and they're just trying to look. It's like, man, I don't even want to talk to those dudes because I know what's going through their mind. I've been there in my 20s. It's a comparison game. And it's like, they're going to have to learn the hard way sometimes. They're going to injure themselves, not be able to do that for a few months and realize like, dude, I just need to take my time. It's the same thing. It's like, you know, I put out a personal record and people are like, oh, dude, I need to catch up. It's like, no, you don't. You don't have to catch up because you're not competing with me. This is not a competition. The only competition there is me competing against me. Like, I'm just trying to beat my personal record. It's personal record. It's not global record. You know, so don't compare yourself. Don't be hard on yourself. Just realize that you got to put in the work and you will get your own personal records. And if that happens to be higher or lower, who cares? It's your personal record, you know? And the other analogy I think about that is road course racing. I'm a car guy. I like to race cars. We have a lap timer, okay? I'm not actually in a sanctioned race and I'm not bumping fenders with other racers, but I have to take my nice cars out there and go as fast as I can safely you know, with gear on and everything. But I'm looking at the lap timer and I'm thinking about what little minor corrections could I make in that course of a lap to improve that lap time every single time. And it's just competing me against me at that point. And the funny thing is, is I don't just take my fastest car out there. I've actually done laps in my TRX pickup truck. I've done it in Cadillac. I'm, I'm the kind of guy that will take every vehicle I own out to the road course just to see how fast I can go in that specific vehicle. I'm not trying to have the best, lowest time of all of the people. And, you know, and at the end of the day, yeah, our buddies will just kind of compare notes and be like, hey, what was your best time today? And if yours is faster, cool. Like, but the whole purpose was I always wanted to be a better driver. I wanted to invest in me and my driver's skills. So, I think you're going to find a lot more joy if you can quit comparing yourself to other people and just start to do better for yourself. I absolutely agree. And and again, this is the way that we can do a healthy competition with ourselves. And what do we do? We look at what you've done and we see the way you're doing it. That inspires me. Or what do I do? I'm watching Tony. Oh, look what he did there. He had that little tweak there. Oh, wow. Look, he relaxed in that point when I normally tense up. Oh, wow. He actually hit the accelerator when I was trying to tap the brake. Okay. So now what? Because I'm watching you, I want to emulate you. I'm competing against myself in a way that's what? Sustainable, safe, but it still pushes me enough to where it's attainable if I'm willing to do the work. And again, those small steps, small incremental increases, that's how we win. It's like compounding interest on money. It's like anything else. But again, we were saying before, a lot of people want to skip all the hard work and get to the end, but there's so much that you learn and there's so much appreciation that you have. Like... After you're through all the hardship, you almost forget about it. And the success is great. It is. But it's not nearly as important as the person you become throughout the journey trying to get there. And if you try to skip past that part, you're missing out on a lot. That could not only make you a better entrepreneur, leader, husband, father, but for all the people around you as a leader. I love that. I love talking about how do we emulate people who have achieved things that we would like to achieve. That's the way you should do it. Take notes. Like... And also yes. learn to ask the right questions. I think a lot of times people watch, but they don't know how to ask the right questions, right? Like, for example, I deadlifted 500 pounds the other day. And one person commented on there that said, how often do you deadlift? That's not the right question. 
that's not the right question at all. Because what that makes me think is that if you just go do deadlifts, that's all you're going to do. Like you're going to get stronger deadlifts. It might work, but you're not going to get really, really strong at doing deadlifts if you only do deadlifts. So my answer to him was deadlifts are a compound body lift that your entire body is involved with it. So you're going to work all kinds of muscle groups. So it's always going to find your weakest link. It's always going to find that. And as soon as you understand where your weakest link is through your mechanics and watching videos of yourself lifting, because you can see where you start to break down or pause through those things, then you need to go isolate that muscle group probably for the next couple of months and build stronger muscles and you know tissues in that area. And that could be your back, it could be your shoulders, it could be your neck, your it could be in your, your traps, it could be in your arms, uh, your grip. Like there's a lot of different ways to do that. You can just go focus on your legs. A lot of times people just don't do enough squats or leg curls to build the backs of their legs. And, and there's a lot of muscle groups that go into, you know, doing a compound lift. And so just asking how many times you do a deadlift, like I might do them once a week, but that ain't going to get you the result. Like I, like what are the other things I'm doing to add to that? Like on the other days, like that's the real question. And that's a beautiful way. What do we do? We find the symptomatology or we find the end result, but then we unpack the cause. We backtrack. And again, Ed Milet, Andy Versella, any of these people, we're seeing the end result of 10, 15, 20 years compounding interest of what they're doing. So if you're like, oh, I'm on Ed Milet's, you know, daily routine, morning routine, whatever it is, that's great. But remember, that's what he's been doing for a while. He's done it on the days that you don't want to do it. He's done it on the days that you've slept in. He's also done it on the days when he felt great, when he has a million things to do during the day. So you're seeing the end result after 20 years of it, just because you're starting to you want to get to the 500 pound deadlift, that's fine. But start with 135, make sure your technique is dead on, look at how long Tony's been doing it and then say, okay, what can I do to add 10 more pounds to the bar? Can I do that next week, next month? Can I do it in a safe way? Because again, when we ego lift, we compromise that integrity. And the martial arts, you know, people are like, show me the technique slow. And they're like, oh, I can't do it slow. I can only do it fast. I'm like, no, you can't do it, motherfucker. Because if you can do it, <laughs> you should be able to do it slowly, methodically, whether it be drawing a weapon, whether it be a throw, a punch, a kick, a takedown, whatever. And so stop trying to hurry up to cover up for your inadequacies. Step back, unpack that weakness. Like magnify that weakness, man. Yes. Magnify Explore that Explore it. Get get really personal with it. Absolutely. Figure out how to fix it. Like you said, all those moves, you know them in slow motion because you visualize all your mechanics. Like, I bet if you were to say, hey, uh, 30% into this move, where are you at? You'd be like, boom, you'd, you'd hit that pose. You'd be like, I'm right here in this moment. And so like, even with like a lift, if someone were to go, hey, mid-lift on a deadlift, what's your body form? I, I know just from doing it, so like, I can lock my shoulders back and I can get right in the right height and be like, boom, I'm right here. This is how it is. You know, so, yeah. That's a funny excuse. I don't know how to do it slow. That's 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 a cop out, right? It's because you haven't analyzed it at that level. And because they're usually afraid to analyze it, right? Because they're afraid of what they're going to find. Dude, and, it's, and here's the thing. Like if you work out, especially if you train by yourself, if you can afford a, an expensive trainer, I always tell people, hey, if you, especially if you're building a habit the first 90 days, go hire the most expensive personal trainer that you can afford because then you're going to be showing up on time. You're not going to make excuses. And they're probably pretty good at what they do. Let's be real. But once you start to get trained and you understand how to do things on your own, set up that tripod. I mean, those those videos and the things that I post from me working out is because I'm watching my form. I'm coaching myself. And so I'll put them over and people may think, hey, that's vanity metrics. I'm just doing it for social media. But if you go look at all the professional lifters and the gym I go to, there's a lot of competitive guys that do this kind of stuff, they're all videoing themselves and they review it after every lift to make sure that their form was on. And if they see some kind of a weakness or breakdown, they'll just readjust or change their grip or do something a little bit different. So don't be embarrassed or shy or like, oh, I'm not going to do that because, dude, you're just setting yourself to injure yourself. If you're doing, like, if you were to learn to do deadlifts wrong and you did that and you kept adding weight and you were just doing them completely wrong, at some point your spine is going to be like, nope, bye-bye you've been bending your back over and picking things up with your back. So do the videos, have someone that can actually look at that and go, dude, you're standing up too fast here, or you're, you're, you're locking out too soon, or, you know, those kind of things. And every peak performer that we've talked to, Olympic gold medalists, world champions, UFC fighters, whatever, like you said, they're all using that simple tool of their phone or their computer yeah. to do that. Because every single time that they do that, I, I say in my book, practice doesn't make perfect, it makes permanent. Yes. So we take that analogy from the physicality and now we apply it to our day. 
Okay, am I really attacking these things? Are these even priorities? Why am I getting good at this shit that's not going to actually benefit me, right? Let's focus on what's really important. Let's prioritize that and then crush that thing with the expectation of getting better, using competition, using emulation of people that are better than us to slowly, incrementally, sustainably get to that point. And then over five years, it's amazing where you go, right? That's right, brother. That's right. Man, it's good stuff, man. I like the questions. I like the reasoning. We're getting the competitive mindset, the the repetitions, doing the, the nitty-gritty work. You, you guys listening, you guys haven't heard any magic potions or silver bullets or you know, 997 courses in this episode. It's it's really the fundamentals. I mean, the emotional control, I think, is one of the bigger ones that most people don't talk about. Oh, yeah. I think if you can master that, starting from looking at your steering wheel or your keyboard, you can go a long way in life just understanding like, hey, I'm, I'm right, I'm triggered for some reason. Can I control it? Can I have that moment of awareness? Can I control it? Yeah, what is that saying about me? What am I afraid of? Where am I weak? How am I distracting myself with this to keep me from looking at these other things? This anxiety that we have around something, this this lack of commitment, all these things. And it's, man, you don't have to be the best. You just have to be the last. You have to be the last one moving forward when everybody else has given up. Again, you and I, five years ago, there were a lot of other people that were kind of... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And a lot of them aren't here. Dude. And I'm not saying that like no. pounding my chest, but I'm just... Things change and that's okay, but that's just not what we want. So here's the, here's the thing people don't really think about, okay? Especially when you're getting started something. Let's say you're starting the podcast or want to go build your personal brand, whatever. Like, okay, something that you got to go be committed to that you're willing to do for five years for zero dollars, essentially, because you actually love what you do and not doing it for the wrong intentions. Again, it goes back to intentions. So think about that as if, if I go in and I and I start something, it's hard and nobody's really watching and it feels like the momentum's just not there, but you got to keep showing up, man, because you can win people over. About 12 months in, people start realizing you're kind of serious about it and then they start coming around. You're not just a flash in a pan that kind of just disappeared in three months like most people. So you got to keep putting in that time, putting in those reps, showing up. Even if you got five downloads and one of them is your mom on your podcast, you better keep doing it. You better start showing up because... If your episode drops every Monday morning and you go and your listeners, your five listeners tune in to listen to because they love your show and you're not there, they're going to be like, dude, I guess I got to listen to something else. And you better hope in that moment that that thing that they're listening to to replace yours is not better than yours because they're probably just going to take that slot from you. So consistency is key for everything in life. The repetitions, consistency, showing up on a routine schedule, being disciplined to do that. And here's the beauty of this. Okay, this is where I'm going with this. When you're just getting started, there's a lot of noise to compete with. But if you can just make it a minimum of 12 months, minimum, that's not even, it doesn't even, like, this year is going to go fly by. We're, we're recording this early in the year. It's going to fly by, guarantee. If you can just make it 12 months consistently, what you're going to find is that you'll probably end up in the top 20% of whatever you're doing. Top 20%. And the thing about that is 80% of your air quotes, competitors have fallen off or quit or gave up too soon or pivoted or gone on to the next get rich quick thing or whatever, right? So when you get to the top of things and your name starts to get compared with some of the people that are you admire, the people that you watched for years, there's actually fewer competitors at the top level. So if you can just stick it out, you'll actually have less competition. It's just weird. Most people think it would get harder, but it actually gets easier. But you still got to deliver the results when you get to the top 20% and turn it up even a little bit more. So just make it through. I think, you know, staying in the fight and not quitting is actually a strategy for growth. And most people don't understand that. Yep. Just like at the beginning of the conversation, being the UK, being thrown, learning how to fall correctly, learning how to sustain that, learning I can get thrown all day and I'll be fine. And then when you have that one time when you throw somebody, it's like, wow. And then even you go back to getting thrown. People talk about resilience and they think that it means you're strong. No, it means that you can just endure more than somebody else is, or you're willing to commit to that. And once you're committed to it, you'll find once we learn how to suffer, we suffer much less. Yeah. We have to be in that place. And that's very Zen. So I, I'm not Jay shedding that. I'm not trying to say I'm the one that came up with that, no, but it's no. the truth. Like in all of these ideas and all these martial arts, whether it be engineering, which is, in my opinion, a martial art, because everything that you do has an impact on people's lives. Like it's important if you're wrong, if you don't have the right postulation there, then people are going to get in trouble. People are going to get hurt. Yeah. It means everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a commitment, man. Like what are you willing to do for free or, what, or even worse? What were you willing to pay to do? There it is. Like if you can answer that, 
Like the, and the other, the other line that we hear often is like, what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? I don't like that line. I think about what would you be willing to do if you knew you were going to fail, but you'd still love doing it? Like if you knew you were going to fail, but you still love doing it, like what are those things? What are the things that you would do? There it is. I think everybody's afraid to, to step out. Again, you're learning a new judo throw or you're learning a new technique or you're learning a new skill set. You're going to fall down a lot. You're going to suck a lot. You're going to get thrown a lot. But once you've made peace with that, once you understand that that's where you're, that's just par for the course, it shows you you're on the right place. You're in the right place. You're on the right path. Feeling lost on your path is part of the path. But once you have that direction, it may not be clearly set in front of you, but understanding that, listen, this is the direction of excellence. And I'll figure it out as I go. But if I stay right here and just wait around, hoping that somebody's going to give it to me, man, that's not going to be where you want to go. We've never accomplished more by doing less. Agreed. Whatever situation you're currently in, and there's a place that you want to get to, you're not going to get there by doing less. It just doesn't happen. I'm not saying to go get into the 24-7 hustle and grind mode and do stupid things and wear and tear your body and your, your mental state, but you got to make some changes. And, you know, it kind of goes back to what we talked at the beginning. Like here, invest in skills, invest in mentors, invest in coaches, find people that will teach you to get the result that you want. And understand that it's okay to have multiple mentors and multiple coaches in different areas of your life that you feel like you're slacking. And, you know, because to me, being rich, but being morbidly obese is not a good combination. I'd rather be broke and actually in shape than rich and like morbidly obese. I'd, I'd, I would choose health over that because I've been in situations where my health declined and I would never like that back again. And I know you've been in some really dire situations where you prayed to be able to walk again. So I get it. And we value health and we only here for a short amount of time. So the money doesn't matter to me anymore. That's the truth. I mean, what we see people make all this money, their health declines, and then all the money that they made is chewed up in the last five years of their life, trying to get back the health that they could have had, had they done the work initially. And guess what? If you get your mind and your body strong, you build everything else that you want in a way that's sustainable, in a way that's fantastic. We talk about investments. We talk about coaching. Tell us about 365 Driven. Tell us about your group. Tell us about, you've got a, an event coming up that we want to talk a little bit about. Yeah, 365 Driven is an entrepreneurship community I started in 2017. And it's kind of a, a spinoff in the culture and the leadership that I had from my automotive communities, which grew to hundreds of thousands. I've done a couple of those. And I just said, hey, the thing I really love is business and entrepreneurship. And I've always been fascinated with it, even since I was a kid. And so I need to go about there and teach people. And that's the best way I'm going to do that is I'm a community builder. My communities are not about me. It's not about ego. It's not about building the followers and standing at the top of the pyramid and acting like everybody's there because they want to hang out with me. That's not who I am. I'm, I'm a community builder. And what that is, is someone that facilitates bonds and creates connections between individual members. So if you were to join and have other people join, I want you guys to be best friends, even if I'm not part of that equation, because it's not my ego that I'm trying to sell you. I'm trying to just build things, educate people, entertain people, build them some accountability, those kind of things. So that's what that group is. But it's also the brand of my podcast, 365 Driven. It's been out a little over four years now. We've been doing this a long time. And, you know, so we do these live events. We do destination vacation type getaways because we realize that most business owners don't take vacations. I mean, it's really sad. Like, I remember surveying my group back when it was around 3,000 people and said, how many of you guys take vac vacations? And that was the first time question. And less than half take vacations, man. And then the ones that did take vacations, like how many weeks a year? And they said one week. It's like, dude, like one week average vacation and only half of the group, like that's terrible. Like, imagine like your physical and mental health if you don't ever have time to recharge. And what purpose is there to go make all this money if you have no time freedom and no financial freedom to go do things that you enjoy with it? That's stupid, right? And some of these people are very, very highly, you know, they're successful financially. But they still don't have time to go do things like that's ridiculous. So my wife and I, we love to travel the world and do some amazing things. Like, why don't we just start having these events and destination type cool places that people would like to go visit? We'll have a day of speaking. We'll have a day of exploration. We'll have a day of networking. We eat all the meals together. We go hang out and tour the places. We do the, the hiking, the activities. We always try to do something physical. You know, for example, we've whitewater rafted in, in Montana. We've hiked the Zion, the river, uh, you know, Zion Park, the, the Narrows yeah. Trail. Yeah. We've also rented out a race racing driving school for a full day, like had like a racing day, like for all the people that attended in Arizona. Wow. 
and we've done the beach resort type thing. We went to see the the Mayan pyramids down in Mexico. So like we're always doing this kind of thing. So our next events, likely end of May, early June is what we're looking at. We're going to go Portugal. So we're going to see some castles and some cool history and also go see the wine country out there, the Douro Valley wine country. So yeah, really cool event that we're planning right now. We just got back from December touring all the facilities and meeting a lot of the event places and, and seeing which one we liked. Dude, that's awesome. And that that's what these things are supposed to be. Like you said, you're going to get incredible content. You're going to get incredible knowledge and wisdom from it. But lots of times that connection that you make, that person that you see, it's the speaker, it's it's a person that you, when I've had events, it's the same thing. And at these kind of events, they're very real, they're very organic. So you don't have to tell people, hey, I want you to go out and meet each other. It's like when you step off the stage for a second, everybody's like mingling. Everybody's yeah. like following each other on social and getting their connections and like literally... I'll ask, I'm like, listen, I want you to brag about yourself. I want you to say, what do you need and what do you provide? And all of a sudden, everybody connects and everybody wins. So if we're leading, our success is based on the success of the people around us. And if we're not doing that, then we're missing something, right? Yeah, we make sure our speakers are actually immersed in the activities and they do all the activities with us and they have the meals with us. So, you know, I don't just invite certain people because there's a lot of egos in the speaking space that'll just be like they'll they'll sing and no, they'll, ditch, they'll, they'll, they'll die no. in the ditch but they'll just get on the stage and then they'll say it's not so Tony. yeah we've seen it <laughs> those people are not going to ever be at my events no and like you said that's if you want to see those people that's fine there's nothing wrong with them yeah but um there is something go, wrong with them there is it's just they, they don't have the they don't have the empathy or understand that people are there to see them and actually want to meet them you know yeah that's that's everything. They're too cool. They're too special. They're too unapproachable. Like, I never want to be like that. No. I never want to be like that. We're not going to. Thank you so much for everything, brother. I could talk to you forever, but we'll continue this conversation on your show. That's right. Whenever I'm on. And uh, I look forward to, to everything. Thank you for your time, your wisdom, and the work you're doing. All right, brother. Thank you for having me on, man. It's a good conversation. And yeah, I can't wait to hear you on mine as well. Absolutely. We'll continue it over there. Thank you for listening to this episode of Okta Nonverba this message resonates with you, please share it out with others on social media.